Welcome to Life, Music, and the Pursuit of Answers. I'm Phil Circle. That is the audience track. I'm sitting here with uh, a gentleman who's not only an extremely talented musician, a very fearless songwriter, uh, owner of a recording studio, uh, the front man of by many people's accounts, one of Chicago's best-kept secrets, a <laughs> band called Jack Salamander, uh, uh, but also uh, a long-time and very dear friend of mine, Lem Roby. What's up, brother? Uh, happy to be here. About time you got around to me. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, I did do like nine, nine, nine episodes to, to just warm up to you. <laughs> you know, I had to talk to... to Less interesting people, so I was well prepared with my vocabulary and uh, everything like that. And now everybody who's in those episodes is going to send me a nasty message and go, Phil, that wasn't very nice. My work is done. <laughs> so uh, let's start with, uh, I'm just going to ask you a simple question. What fascinates you? Hmm. Uh, the exotic and the absurd. That's a really good start, the exotic and the absurd. Yeah, I mean, because you burn out, you know, eventually on the usual if you have any kind of attention span or critical ear. You know, you'll hear things and everything is wonderful when it's fresh, but uh, you run quickly out uh, of the freshness of the common and you start to look for the uncommon uh, to regain that sense of um, uh, excitement about uh, experience. How do people accomplish what you just described uh, so eloquently uh, in their in a day-to-day -day life? I mean okay so that sounds real nice for we creative folks uh, uh, because you know you can pick up a guitar. Well, you've done this to me. I'll give an example for people who are, who listen to this podcast. Um, I remember a jam that you would host where you would have uh, you would hand me a guitar, and you had it plugged into about nineteen pedals, <laughs> and you know with all sorts of crazy effects on them. And it was the Oblique Strategies jam. Oh yes, right. And you'd pick a card, and it was based on the I Ching. For those who are curious. Uh, I've seen other versions of this jam uh, out there uh, uh, advertised, uh, even recently. I think there's a band going by that name, I, though I don't think they're necessarily uh, using the uh, the strategy specifically. And just uh, for clarification, it was um, Brian Eno and Peter Schmidt um, discovered they had several um, commonalities in their approach to work and in ways of getting themselves out of ruts, once again, uh, seeking, you know, the exotic. And uh, they made them up into a deck of cards. And uh, one of Eno's tricks in the studio was anytime he found himself uh, stymied, he would pick a card and whatever the card said, he would have to use as his direction going forward, no matter how ridiculous or inappropriate it might be, and just the act of trying to accomplish whatever these little fortune cookies threw at him, and they were uh, they ranged from very specific things uh, in terms of uh, 
studio techniques to very abstract things. You know, go outside and listen from the hallway was one. <laughs> yeah. Idiot Glee was another. I think, I think I picked that first one one time in your jam. <laughs> I think you and did. I, was like, what do I, like? I tried to use it metaphorically. Right. So I tried to listen from outside the music and, and, and you know, I picked a blank card one time and right. I was like, well, the obvious response would be do nothing, but that kind of misses the whole point. So I started treating the guitar as something other than a guitar, I think was my response. And that. automatically, right yeah. away, the process of trying to achieve that changes your way of thinking from the standard ruts that you're in and puts you into uh, a new place. Not every, you know... Uh, example is going to be successful but it'll certainly jar you out of the mundane regardless and again now then what do we how would this apply to a person in the mundane uh day-to-day uh, -day life you know there's there's so much of even what you and i do as creative people we have the 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 privilege the freedom and the responsibility to to create all the time and we have, over the years, learned a lot of things like what you just described to continue to break things wide open. It's why I bought a baritone guitar, was to break from the mundane. Sure. I'm, I feel like, I think I know the fretboard on this other one. You know, <laughs> let's get one that, that, that I have no clue what to do with. Yeah, welcome to my world, he says, and points to uh, my skeleton tapper. Right, a 10-stringed ten, a ten instrument that you tap, yes. And, and so we, we, you know, we... Taking it as as uh, uh, I, I think uh, when I when I have worked with people like you Lem I've I've seen that they take it like I do, not as just this oh I'm aren't I, aren't I a lucky guy I get to do what I love to do but we take it as a responsibility yeah oh, to, no, it's to a continue pain to in the butt. yeah exactly <laughs> to continue to create to continue to to you know uh, break through whatever because we do realize that part of what we're doing is uh, uh, getting rid of some of the mundane for people. How do we translate that into a person, into a day-to-day -day life, into into uh, uh, you know, well, I've got this mundane job. What do I do to break free of it? Right. Well, you know, the your action plan um, is based on a couple of principles, and to give you two more uh, words to run with, um, uh, curiosity and courage. You have to be interested enough in what's going on to explore it and that exploration eventually will lead to the disenchantment hmm. that leads you to discover something different and you have to be brave enough to follow that curiosity because it's not comfortable it never is it, you know um this is a, a a principle that i learned um transcribing um or actually uh, transferring to disc some old reel-to-reels from the University of Chicago in the early 60s. My father's mentor, uh, an educator's educator, name of uh, Joseph Schwab, the uh, uh, Methodist campground up here is on uh, Joseph Schwab Road. And uh, it was a brilliant man, and uh, I did a, a basically a 20-disc set of, of these uh, copies of his lectures. And the one thing uh, that tickled me the most out of listening to all of this really interesting and very, you know, high-level uh, educational theory, he stopped and, as an aside to uh, the class he was lecturing, said, by the way, learning hurts. 
Because in order to learn anything, you have to first acknowledge that you are ignorant about something that matters. So yeah. the process is never necessarily, well, I find it fascinating and challenging and um, uh, exhilarating. But, you know, there's also times when you're banging your head against the process and um, maintaining your courage to keep going, maintaining your curiosity to see what the next thing you can discover will be are the things that will drive you past the, um, the, the dullness of whatever that mundane uh, situation you're in is. So uh, uh, all the technological advancements we have right now, and somebody uh, can become incredibly curious, and they can they can to where to where Google has become a verb. They can Google <laughs> something out of pure curiosity and go down a rabbit hole for days. Yep. Is this good or bad, or is it in between, or is it a little of each, or is it just like everything, boy, back, back in the caveman days, those kids, all they do is watch the fire, <laughs> why don't they go get a job, right? Is it just another thing, it's another generation now has something new to complain about, or is this something, are we to a point now where uh, there are going to be some tremendous changes in what humans have to contend with? Uh, Ian Leith, you know, I had him sure. on. Uh, and he said a very interesting thing, you don't need to ever be bored. And he found a problem with that. Yes, indeed. I remember, uh, I actually, I, I heard that on some dude's podcast, actually. Uh, oh, yeah, didn't, didn't you, you mastered that one that, for that me. That, be, well, that's... I'm still listening to it. I feel that I have a good understanding of it. I don't know if I've yet mastered it. <laughs> he plays with words. Get, get used to that. There'll be puns, by the way, that tomorrow you'll, you'll, you'll go, oh, <laughs> I get it. But yeah, that was actually one of uh, the high points for me of uh, Ian's podcast. Was, uh, that's, um, that's a danger, you know. And first of all, to answer your question more directly, um, you know, good and evil are inherently one. Right. You know, you can, um, you can use a knife to chop a vegetable to make a beautiful disc or a disc, dish. Or, you know, or I can use it to slit my own throat because I can't pronounce a word today. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's uh, a lot of it has to do with your intention. Not all of it, you know, because you can have tremendous intentions and do terrible damage. Yeah. But um, you have to use some wisdom in how you use Google. I mean, certainly it's possible to uh, avoid less pleasant tasks by diving down rabbit holes in the Google verse. Um, but you can also, I mean, yeah, I, one of my constant refrains is when somebody asks a question I don't have an answer for, I say, if only we had billions of dollars of satellite technology that would put the answer at our fingertips. <laughs> uh, and off to the Google verse we go. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, but again, if you've got that curiosity, you know, that'll keep you going. You know, that can also, you know, um, be uh, a trap, you know, because you, 
you get involved in one thing. Somebody right now is Googling the oblique strategies cards and is going to order themselves a deck, yep, you know, yep. and is now looking up, what's this one? What's that one? What, what, what does it mean? Who's Peter Schmidt? Who's Brian Eno? What did he do? He was on this album? Whoa, wait a minute. What's Roxy Music? When did this happen? What does it have to do with Peter Sinfield? Peter Sinfield, wow, King Crimson, they're awesome. That's good. Pete Townsend liked that album? What did he do? Oh, yeah, he produced Thunderclap Newman. What was their tune? Something in the air. Ah! What's that picture on Phil's studio wall? With uh, with Lem and Ian McDonald, who's where's That's he right. from? Yeah. Oh man, that was a, an amazing night. Yeah, that was a, Ian McDonald from from King, King Crimson, Crimson yes. the aforementioned, yes. also from Foreigner, dude. Right? Yeah, <laughs> we all have our ups and downs. Right? <laughs> True that. Um, so, uh, now, so I have a, a collection of 1982 Encyclopedia Britannicas uh, that that that. Uh, are lined up across the floor like they're like the floor is their bookshelf, you know, and they're all leather bound and everything. And uh, we have them because my wife, who you know, you were groomsmen at our wedding. That's true. Uh, Megan's parents wanted to uh, wanted me to sell them, and Megan said, "Oh no, I have to have them." Now these were printed the year before Megan was even born. But she's like, I have to, I like, I used to look through them as a kid and everything. And I like books. I have a good collection of books. Now, uh, is that me just being uh, Captain Kirk in the 25th century with these archaic, interesting things that I can collect along with, with eyeglasses? Or is this something that we are going to continue to hang on to as another resource? Well, I'm prejudiced on this particular issue because my mom uh, was a writer and editor for Britannica. Right. So if you look up Maria Callas or John Cage, um, that's Ma. Right on. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, uh, so, so you knew all about 4 minutes and 33 seconds before oh, most people did. I saw John Cage at the Art Institute um, back what? in 1980. Uh, he had <laughs> taken Finnegan's Wake and cut it up into little pieces, threw it into a hat, pulled it back out at random, and sang it to us for about an hour and a half. Wow. Yeah, that's a man with an intense curiosity and tremendous courage. And wow, what an amazing concept. What a brave man for doing it. I, I slept and, very well. Right. Yeah, I was just saying, <laughs> what, what was it like? We did a thing like that when uh, when I was in college. Uh, so I started my master's degree and realized I, it wasn't going to make me any more money. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I dropped out. But one of the classes... Uh, we we performed a John Cage piece where we were all we were all told to bring AM radios to us. Now this was in the mid '90s, late '90s, so what you could kind still of radio only works in the morning. Hey, you know, so you were still able to find them easily enough, you know. And then we were all given uh, a a score, uh, which was. A series of AM radio frequencies and there were about a dozen of us in the room and it, this was to go on for about 15 minutes and you chose when how long each movement was you could stand one the whole time you could switch there were no rules except you have these AM radio frequencies and we went through and it was all kinds of interesting noise and music and things happening all at one time and then the discussion came up afterwards, you know, that was great because we're in Chicago. We're literally in downtown, you know, so there was plenty of stuff to, to do. What would that have been like if we had performed, I'm air quoting, uh, that in out in the country 
somewhere where there was maybe one AM radio. There'd be a lot of static. and Well, I was going to say, you know, I mean, that sort of thing can lead to some interesting juxtapositions, but it's not necessarily your highway jam, you know? Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what could something like that, what is the point? Of, of that sort of composition. So, And for those who are wondering, 4 minutes and 33 seconds is... They've all Googled it by now, Phil. Yeah, well, there, yeah, there's that. Or maybe they're listening intently. It's <laughs> four and a half minutes of total of silence, right? And I used to use that uh, when I was teaching in the classroom from 5th to 8th grade, uh, like general music. It was just more like an, a music appreciation class. And I would... I had a live recording of it, which I always thought was hysterical, right? <laughs> you know, so and you could hear, you know, the applause as the, the performers, you know, s- sat down or whatever they did, sure. and then you would hear for four and a, minutes and thirty three seconds, nothing happened, but you'd hear some shuffling around in the audience. Somebody coughed, mm-hmm. somebody, s- their somebody candy. sneezed. Right, I was listening to the air conditioner hum. Right, you know, <laughs> and then when they were done, apparently they stood up or made some indication that they were done, and they got applause. And I asked the kids, and this is something that I've never forgotten because I, I found it very fascinating. Because if you, there are also people who maybe Googled this or didn't bother to Google it, especially when they found out what it was, because they're like, that's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life, right? And but, these are regular listeners of your podcast. Right, right, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then, but then, well, here's what these kids would do, though I'd, I'd play that for them, and they'd sit there listening intently, for, waiting for something to happen. We talk about patience that we all go, oh, these kids, no patience. And what? No, they had plenty of patience. And they're waiting for something to happen. And the suspense, the tension, I mean, there's so much learned right there. Just, you know, you know understanding tension and suspense in music even. Sure. You know, and, and, uh, you know? the same sort of thing. Um, I had that experience with almost uh, psychedelic listening to uh, Steve Reich's uh, Come Out, uh, which is basically a tape loop of this uh, protester who um, was uh, trying to get, uh, he'd gotten beaten as uh, in this demonstration, and they were putting the people that were obviously hurt into, um, you know, ambulances, and he had gotten uh, sort of a blood bruise that he was squeezing, and uh, the, the piece of dialogue that Steve Wright took was, I was trying to make it come out to show them, and um, <laughs> It's basically, you know, it's this endless tape loop of come out to show them, 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 which yeah. just gets absolutely hypnotic after the first minute or two. I would think, yeah. yeah and uh, while it's, uh, you know, an odd um, way of getting into something different, just like 4 minutes, 33 seconds, if you've got the curiosity to look it up and the courage to sit there past that moment of boredom, you know, and that's, right. uh, that was our original, um, you know, uh, obstacle there. Well, and, and what these kids did with that, with the four minutes and 33 seconds, in addition to the, the, the tension, then understanding that, you know, and listening and waiting and all, you know, demonstrating many things that people say, you know, kids don't have these days. Like right. I said, that we've been saying for thousands of generations, sure. right? Kids don't know, blah, blah, you know, et cetera. Get off my lawn. Right, you know. But uh, then I would ask them at the end of it, I would say, uh, what was that all about? What was that, you know, what was the point of that? What was the music about? What was that song about? And they'd come up with, they'd go, they heard coughing, or, you know, and they're like, well, it's about dying, you know. And they're like giving serious answers. I don't really, uh, 
maybe there was some kid that made a smart-ass response, but I don't think so. They really gave thought-provoking answers. And I should note that these all the schools where I did this were in uh, uh, lower middle class or poverty-stricken neighborhoods, you know. Right. So, uh, you know, just to continue to, you know, shatter any stereotypes you may have. Sure, well, we're, you know? we're so quick to dismiss um, anyone's uh, cultural value. You yeah, know? totally. And uh, you we know, miss but, a lot. But then they would, eventually they would come around to what I felt a very important aspect of the song was as a you know songwriter and a musician. It had a good beat and you could dance to it and I'd give it an 86. Right. <laughs> Simon Cowell would have loved it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. They would come around to, to, to Music Begins With Listening. That was pretty much... They, they, uh, yeah, they come around and they'd be like, oh, you, you have to listen. So what is music? Oh, you're asking me. Yeah, wow. you've been asking yeah. questions up to now. I'm going right. to interview you now, buddy. Come on, up with it. Let's go. This is my standard question to my own students. Oh, is it? Yeah, exactly. Interesting. So, you What know. is music? <laughs> well, now I'm obligated to come up with some, you know, highly, you know, intelligent response. No, no, but you to can me shoot it's, out to, to me, it's it's uh, an incredible source of, of expression. It's a, a language that connects us all. It is the most powerful unifying device on the planet. Um, what is music? My question still stands. What is music? Yeah, what is this music that's such an important thing that does so many wonderful things? It's a, a vibration. Yeah, this is true. Uh, but what about a quarter rest? Uh, it's a vibration of silence. Even, you know, even if there was... even uh, if what, I, what is a vibration of silence exactly? You see, because this is the yeah. thing. I throw this question out to my own students. You know, to see where they where they go with it. You know, and I get uh, a lot of questions. Well, there, it's it's a thing with notes and right. and, uh, yeah. and rhythms. And I well, I tell them about four minutes and thirty three seconds. There you go. No notes, no rhythms. Yeah. You know, what about a rest? Silence is silence music. Well, yeah, it defines the sound. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. surrounds it. You know, and uh, uh, that's uh, I think it's a Malcolm Gladwell uh, book. He mentions how. Zero is the most important number because it can be something. It makes ten different from one, uh -huh. but also it can exist on its own as nothing, mm -hmm. which no other number can do. So the rests are important. So we can't say it's like matter it's, and uh, antimatter. Sure, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, if your antimatter had any balls, it'd be your uncle matter. But hey. in any case, so we can't really say it's sound. We can't really say it's silence. It's neither one exclusively. Right. You know. Um, Wow, this becomes troublesome. Mm -hmm. What about if I go over to uh, one of the uh, pianos in uh, the teaching studio and hit the demonstration button? Is that music? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, it sounds like music, but I could argue that that's just a computer spitting out data, ones and zeros. But the universe is made up of numbers. At least we've defined it with numbers. Well, yeah, but, you know, is it, is it music? You know, uh, we were talking, uh, there was something you said Ted earlier. Ted Wolfers said a very interesting thing. The music is a vibration, uh, and, and for you who are listening, he's on one of the podcasts too. Um, he, he said, uh, he compared it to the universe itself. He said when a star explodes, it, it makes music. 
the music is like almost a vibrational law of the universe practically. Yeah, but that's so stupid loud, man. You know, they got to do something about, you know, get, <laughs> getting some, you know, ear protection or, or you know, just... <laughs> when, when the star explodes. Yeah, exactly. Except that space is a vacuum. So obviously his, his definite is so we don't have sound in a vacuum. In so vacuum he's a space. liar. So what, Screw the, you, Wolfers. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's going to be all kinds of fights going on in the exactly. music world after this. The what world? But what is music again? Mu uh, a world. Well, it is a world. You mm -hmm. know, is it just one world? Is it many worlds? You know, so it's not silence. It's not sound. It's not necessarily vibration. Um, it's... Uh, now, when after, even, even in silence, the vibration of a previous note is still hovering somewhere. Mm. Isn't it? The vibration moves out. Well, source, uh, yeah. back in the day, you would have to shut off the recording desk in the middle of the of the tracking process to achieve the sort of silence that's easily achieved now with digital technology. Because right. you can send nothing through; you can send zeros through. So I'm going to disqualify your answer and keep pushing. All so right. if I've disqualified that piano demo, what's a CD? or a stream, but a computer spitting out data. Is right. it music? You know, I'm a sound engineer is another thing that I do. And, you know, I'm sorry to any of the bands that I've run sound for uh, if they <laughs> don't uh, appreciate this bit of information, but I cannot stand hearing a band play with what we call tracks. Which basically means they prepare and pre-record some part of the music that they're going to perform and play it back often from a laptop or a pad or something like that. What about the uh, portable dinosaur who uh, I had uh, do an opening set with Interjeet on Tabla at Rock, uh, Hard Rock Cafe before our, our guilty gig. So I remember ago. enjoying them to a certain degree. That was they kind were sampling. of early on in the game. Uh, and they were doing it, I think, less, because um, what I'm talking about generally here is, uh, you know, Something a band cover could bands, have actually tribute played. bands. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And, you know, I've seen bands that perform everything that they do live, and they sound awesome. And you, if they've left any part of it out, you didn't miss it because they did the parts of it that needed to be there so well. It got across the story. Exactly. You know, and some of them, you know, and admittedly, I may not know all of the details of Uptown Funk inside and out, but <laughs> I know if it's being done well. And I, if there was an element missing, I, could, I didn't notice it. And I've seen bands do the same song with tracks and just... You know, it's that old joke, live, two guys in a laptop. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's a problem. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, now, what about sound effects? I saw you do Dark Side of the Moon with Jack Salamander, ladies and gentlemen, the band. Fair enough. Fronts. And yeah, absolutely. And you, used, we, you did use recording, but you used it for the clocks. Yep, absolutely. Right? Okay. Well, you know, there's there's no other way to hear that noise. And right. Pink Floyd themselves, obviously, you know, use, uses use the tracks. Those, mm -hmm. those, those same tracks as well. That's a rare exception and uh, shows my own personal hypocrisy on, on display 
you know, but there was... Uh, so are you just being an old man about it, or is this? Or are you really not understanding it? It's, uh, there. That's a real exception. You know, and again, you know, my whole uh, general uh, stance on tribute bands is that, you know, uh, it's... It, I'm trying so hard to be delicate about this. That, um, <laughs> it's to some degree artistically bankrupt because it's based on uh, a generally more financial concerns based mm -hmm. on piggybacking on somebody else's music and reputation. Now, a cover band, you know, certainly, I, you know, I've played in a ton of cover bands. I've seen great cover bands. Hey, shout out to Rich Valone, by the way, whose your band was awesome. They were all live, no tracks. They killed everything they played. Um, and um, and certainly I played in a ton of cover bands. A tribute band is a different thing. That means that we're going to be doing strictly the uh, work of this particular artist, and it's a marketing tool. Right. You know, immediately you have the market of whatever band it is you're going to have a tribute to now again you know with my own you know hypocrisy or i don't know maybe this is just the only smart way to do it i think the only um noble way to do it is to be a tribute band of a band that nobody in your area has heard of there you go and hence uh jack salamander my band is the world's greatest root boy slim and the sex change band tribute band on the planet you know, I'll take on all comers. Come on at me. There you go. Well, and... Okay, so you mentioned Rich Vallone. Okay, so uh, he was a student of mine a long time ago, so I know his training, right? Sure. So I know that he w uh, studied classical and jazz guitar in order to be that good. Mm -hmm. And he showed a tremendous amount of talent. All I had to do was keep feeding him the information and throw symbols at his head, you know? Right. So, uh, and, and, you know, he did the work, as is always the case of great students. They already come with the fire. You yeah. just have to keep it kindled. What, right? with the curiosity? Yeah, yeah, the curiosity. And How the about courage? That? And the courage, right, you got it, yeah. He's been walking into a lesson with Phil on a Saturday morning at 10 a.m. after his gigging till 4 when he was uh, still drinking. You, know, you had to have courage just to Tremendous do that. Tremendous bravery. Tremendous bravery, yes. <laughs> um and uh, so it's no surprise that he would work with a group that requires a high level of musicianship. Um, what about, uh, uh, okay, so I, I was thinking this stuff through. See, I'm not in total disagreement with you, but I've come to, to adjust some of my, my thinking. And I'll tell you, since we, we'll bring up Ian Leith again, um, because he, he, I was very curious when I, when I talked to him on here, uh, about what it was like playing on cruise ships. And, you know, Ian's an outstanding guitarist. I, when I first saw him at, a, at an open mic I was hosting, to be a smartass, because he seemed to be able to play any kind of covers people would throw at him, I was like, YYZ by Rush, right? He started playing it. Sure. You know, so he's a very accomplished musician and uh, a very cool guy, very laid back and stuff, and yeah. I think that that allowed him to deal with the cruise ship thing, but he made a really interesting point. He said, you know, there are still people in the world who work like nine, he didn't put it exactly this way, but he, he may as well have, you know, 
there are people you know, that, that, that still in the world who they work like a nine to five job. The only music they hear is the music that's fed to them on a regular basis, and they save up save up all their money and they get their tax return in the spring, and then they schedule a cruise, and that's their only real vacation all year. And they just want to do nothing but eat and sleep and get drunk and listen to whatever, and so they want the bands there to play the music the way they know it from the recordings, all that kind of stuff. And so you owe it to them to, to do it right, do it that way for them, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, you know, you're right. Now, when I was like 22, you know, or something, I would, you know, I worked at a gas station and I was always reminded that uh, even though I was aspiring to these great artistic, you know, things and everything, I, I was like, I'm never going to forget that there, that there are always people who are just fine doing these jobs. You know, there's the people that, 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 you know, are just comfortable, happy, working nine, uh, a basic, you know, hourly wage, and they know what they're getting. There's no great risk involved and that sort of thing. And anything mundane for them is broken by things that you and I may think of as simple. And then for us to to lash at them because they want to go see the, 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 the tribute band who dresses up like the group and all this because they can't afford the $250 a ticket to see the actual band or the actual band's dead, you know, or something sure. like that. Is, is that elitist of us? Or is that our personal feelings that we have the courage, haha, you know, to express in a world where a lot of people don't have the courage to say, no, I want something else? Because we're also seeing what? The major record industry is, I'm telling you, they're, they're going to, they're just getting they're getting eaten alive because now you and I can be heard worldwide by anybody who looks for us. And if we put any kind of effort behind our music and pushing it out there, we can get it heard even more places. And we're happy for the trickle of money that comes from it, you know, (laughs) not that happy. And, uh, you know, well, yeah, we'd like it to be more than a trickle, (laughs) but we have, there was an appreciation because of the years of work that we've done out of a love for the work that we do. Uh, you know, I call us uh, middle-class independent musicians. You know, we're making our living, you know, and uh, not living too special. And it's that sort of thing is proof that people really do want choices. True that. You know? And, um, you know, I, I would never, well, I would try not to disparage anybody for being interested in less adventurous things than I am. But um, I'm also going to be, uh, I'm not going to be any more enthralled with things that I have already digested and are are just pablum at this point. Um, There's, uh, wow, there's about 14 different points that I wanted to circle back to. (laughs) Circle. Hey. But um, let me take this one just because I can remember it. Hey, what is music? So, uh, I have right. to come up with an answer. I'm a music teacher, right? I yeah. better, yeah. after I've hassled somebody for all this time, mm-hmm. have a reasonable explanation thereof. And right? why, do I, why do I not doubt that my dear friend, one of the most brilliant people I know, has an answer? <laughs> Let me will. There you go. Your check's in the mail, Phil. <laughs> uh, the, and music is when a drummer, uh, you can imagine any drummer that we've played with in the past, um, does something so stupid that it 
forces me out of whatever I was thinking I was playing into gales of hilarity and makes me do something different than I would have done. Also, when he or a different drummer does something so brilliant that it affects me and causes me to play something different than I would have otherwise. That moment of communication from one musician to another or from a musician to an audience or from an audience to a musician. You step out in front of the many thousands, a uh, crowd of many thousands, that energy is going to make you play vastly differently than an empty bar on a Friday night. Yeah. And that moment of communication, that transfer of energy, uh, is music. Music is a transfer of energy. Yeah. It is, and, and all, the, all the things you said about uh, the communication of it, uh, too. Yeah, um, there literally have been times when we've played on stage, and so now it's become like this joke that I tell people about, like uh, you know how 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 great it is when when I get to work with you. Okay, there literally have been times on stage where uh, stop a song, and you said you said one time you're like you have to pee, like I <laughs> I was like oh my god yeah like it was like. And you may have just been doing that to tell me, dude, we got to take a break because we've been playing for an hour and a half because that happened too, you know? <laughs> and, you know, this is like it's time for a bathroom break, you know? Um, but, but there, yeah, there are, there, it really is, um, I, I tell it to people like this, the communication in music is like explaining what sex is like to a virgin. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Uh, because it's like, why would I want to do this? You're all sweaty and tired, and you know, breathing heavy. And the ridiculous. Positions the are ridiculous. Expenses are expensive. <laughs> yeah, why would you do this to yourself? You know, and stuff. And and uh, it's like, well, you just have to be there. And and the 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 moments uh, where it's like, oh, okay, how'd the show go? It must have gone well because I don't really remember. Yep. You know, That's I how got you know, on a good stage. Drummer is if uh, I haven't thought about the drums all night. Totally, yeah, yeah. yep, yeah. And I, I always, I always, in, in talking about teaching too, right, I always say, you know, if I, I always try to use my own example because otherwise you just sound like you're spouting info, right? Right. So I try, I, I, you know, so I uh, just la the last uh, Friday was coaching a band and I was explaining to them, you know, the importance of listening to each other. They're afraid and they're, they're, they're like, aspiring semi-pro you know so they're very in their own instrument and they can't get out of their own head uh -huh, and that's know? the whole thing yeah. and that's where the courage and the curiosity comes in is in order to have those musical exchanges of energy happen you have to be open to them because yeah. it's entirely possible and this is i was going to bring up this exact point to play completely in a state of consciousness that exists from the top of your forehead to the bottom of your fretboard and never wander from there unless somebody does something that annoys you, you know? I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, totally. that's yep. one of those exchanges, that's one type. But um, to get to the point where, okay, I'm here, I'm prepared, or I'm unprepared, right. but 
whatever is about to happen is going to happen now. You know, Frank Zappa said that art is whatever you say it is. You put a frame around something and say, okay, whatever's in there is art. Mm -hmm. So it's a, uh, a Phil show, and uh, I'll be playing stick. And uh, I don't remember any of his tunes because he hasn't hired me for six months or whatever. Right. And, but uh, I know that the hit time is nine o'clock. And at nine o'clock, I'm on stage with my stick on thinking, I wonder what the hell we're going to play now. Right. <laughs> you know, so, but I got my eyes open. I'm watching Phil. I've got my ears open. I've got my consciousness tuned to what is happening next. And... For somebody like the band that you're uh, coaching, it's a terrifying place to be mm -hmm. because, you know, the fear is I'm going to make a mistake. Right. And you are. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. That's, that's definitely going to happen. Yeah. And I find the more open I am, the less, the fewer mistakes I make and the less possible it is for me to make one. You know, that uh, famous um, Herbie Hancock story about how he completely flubbed uh, a set of chord changes you know he was like a half step off from a whole thing and uh, and then miles played one note that made it all work because he was right there with him mm -hmm. and miles didn't care that's not how the song goes right you know or you're wrong you're screwing up my gig or whatever it is it's like these notes just happened so this note has to happen in response to it Ego disappears. Exactly. And that sort of freedom and communication and living really in the moment, you know, that's curiosity, you know, amped up to, you know, uh, almost psychic, you know. And well, what's, and what's remarkable about it, and this is like what I told these guys and, I've t and I tell anybody, right, uh, is the, the, as frightening as it is to get out of your own head there because they're, you know, they're wrapped up in their own place because they're afraid they're going to screw up. Right. But you're less likely to screw up because of everything, like you just explained it. You're not going to right. in, 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 the same, in the same way, and it's going to save itself because you're all, you all become like one instrument. Sure. You know? And it gets you out of your head. You start to hear your instrument as if it's somebody else's, and then your, your fingers are just following your, your, your mind's ear, and your creative juices take over. People ask you know? what I think about when I'm playing. I think. And, yeah. That's good. I don't think. Would, yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, specifically in terms of, like, improvisation, you know, taking a guitar solo. And I, it's generally somewhat geometric in nature. I and mean, as you say, it's not really thought. It's a, a sense that... Uh, it needs to gain more intensity or relax in intensity. Mm -hmm. And the three obvious ways to gain intensity is faster, louder, higher. You right. know? And that's right. you know, that leads to um, you know, what uh, Zappa called the volcano, which is the <laughs> end of the keyboard solo that goes... <laughs> you know, the big ejaculation at the end. You know? and, but it's more a sense of... Okay, it needs to zig up, it needs to zig down, you know, in terms of a melodic contour or a dynamic contour, you know. Um, and, you know, you listen to Jeff Beck. Jeff Beck can just as easily make softer, uh, lower, uh, what were they, uh, slower, mm -hmm. you know, as intense, if not more so, right. than faster, louder, higher. Um, but that's expression that's you know your interpretation 
of what needs to come out at that moment. And, you know, I, I was saying I see a sort of an abstract, not exactly a line, but so there's a geometry, a mental geometry to it in the abstract. Um, you know, especially, you know, if you've got your eyes shut and just sitting back and, and wailing out your guitar solo. Um, but um, when that, and it's all how much can you internalize. When that's all internalized and you're going to pry yourself open to be paying attention to the drummer and to the, the bass player and whatever else is happening in the music at that moment, then suddenly you've got a million more opportunities above and beyond what your particular geometric uh, vision of a particular moment was. And if you're Miles, you can hear, okay, the, the, he's on a different shape than I am, and I can jump there to be there with him. Right. And okay, we're back in the, where we were before. <clears throat> yeah, and, and, you know, anytime, uh, I know it's been a while since we've had the whole, my whole band out, you know, but um, I learned a long time ago that if something didn't feel right, it wasn't the band. <laughs> it was me. It was inevitably, if I felt like there was... I fooled him. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, it, was all, it was inevitably I was not listening to the whole band because so what? It's my band. I write the most of the material or choose the material that we're going to cover. And I'm used to you playing know, it this way because you know, this is how I play it. Right. It, it's, it, I, I actually perform differently my own songs, whether I, if I play them with the full lineup of our band sure. or just with you as a duo or, or mm -hmm. solo. Right. You know, because each one creates a different dynamic, uh, with everything. You have a different function, you know? You know? Yeah. And, and so I'm always, uh, uh, it, it's like the first thing I, I bet it's always by the second song or something. I know, uh, if I'm listening or not, because if I'm feeling any tension past, you know, the initial, uh, we're starting now, and I hope the Butterfly, show goes well. Yeah. Right, you know, after 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 I'm past that, if there's still tension, I immediately am checking myself. Am I listening to the guys? And inevitably, the answer is no. I'm in my own freaking world again, <laughs> you know. And and it's remarkable how many how many fairly accomplished you know musicians don't even realize that they do that. Sure. And then you bring it up, and they go, oh, "Whoa," you know, like I never. Never thought about that, and it's just like how many musicians have you played with that? Boy, they had great chops, but somehow they just didn't click, and that's always why they weren't listening. Sure, you know, you and know? there's a million ways to be distracted from being in that moment, you know, and certainly, um, you know, uh, booze can be a, mm -hmm. a duller in that, you know, yeah, um, yeah. in that department, you know, um, you know, and there's uh, uh, people that that have some success. You know, but I think that has to do more with having something else that they've got to turn off that allows them to be in that moment and open again. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, it's it, but it's a, a crude tool. Yeah. At best. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell uh, talk a little bit about uh, Jack Salamander. Jack Salamander, ah, a topic near and dear to my heart. Um, Jack Salamander is my band. I suppose I can say that with mm -hmm. you know some it degree is. of conviction. I would um, say I don't think anybody would would argue that. Yeah, just because I got all the master tapes. <laughs> 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 exactly, but it's um, 
you know, over the years, that's included uh, a wide variety of really amazing musicians. I've been very lucky to have a lot of tremendous people to work with, and love goes out to everybody that's ever been on the stage as Jack Salamander. Y'all know who you are. Um, and uh, we, uh, it's, it's the band that, uh, you know, I, I, at a certain point in your development, you start looking for bands. You know, you start answering, well, <laughs> Back in the day, used to add, answer <laughs> ads in the Illinois Entertainer and yep. in the Reader yep. and all this stuff that's kind of moved over to Craigslist now and uh, has become less and less um, useful, you know, in terms of actually uh, making musical connections with people. You know, but, uh, you know, when I was answering ads uh, back as a young punk musician, um, not punk musically but you know uh, right. as just young a, just a punk. Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. get off my lawn <laughs> you know yeah, I'd see some things that sounded interesting some things that didn't but I, I discovered really quickly that I was never going to find anything that scratched all the itches that I wanted to scratch mm -hmm. you know because I've been cultivating my courage and curiosity you know for quite a while before I um, you know started looking for creative outlets in terms of musical ensembles so okay i've got to find something that uh creates something of my own you know and um i happened to stumble into a rehearsal uh with uh, a wonderful batch of musicians um who are pretty much all out there still playing in an incredibly diverse number of bands uh i don't think uh, other than occasionally that any of them are playing together, but they're all doing interesting stuff. And um, from there, a repertoire started to develop. I've been very lucky to have some great songwriters um, in the band. Uh, I'm still, you know, uh, ripping off material from uh, James Cornolo, from uh, John Rogers. You know, there's... there's James been... Cornolo, my first bass player... Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Which, uh, then introduced me to you. That's right. That that's yeah. how that's how uh, we got hooked up. I, yeah. You know, I was twenty five years ago. My first recording, four four songs in four days. Like James Cornola was was the bass player. That's right. I was thinking about that. Four days later. Yep, that's what it was. I was going to see if I could find the cassette just to freak you out for this. Oh, that would have been fun. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't even know if I have a copy of it. Yeah, I bet you don't. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that's somewhere. Um, but hey, James, what's up? Hey. Um, yeah, we're going to do, uh, I think here I am on the next CD. Uh, the one after the one that's pretty much in the can now. We've got uh, uh, one of his tunes. What are we doing of James's? I'm losing my mind here. Uh, it'll come back to me if I don't think about it. And, uh, of course, John Rogers playing bass right now with the fabulous Sofa Kings. Go and check those guys out at your first available opportunity. Rocking the covers out in the Arlington Heights area. All right. And uh, a couple of his tunes. Uh, yeah, Barrett Tasky had a couple of great tunes, too, you know, which he never brings back anymore. But that's fine. You know, that's, yeah, some kind Barrett, of who also joined us. That's right. Uh, for you introduced Shubas. me to. Exactly. When so. I was looking for a second guitar player. And it all comes full circle. Right. 
And, uh, yeah, uh, but I think Barrett has some kind of hidden agenda here. So I'm The name of his group, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yes. You see, it's yeah. funny. But, um, but uh, what do we, what's Jack Salamander? Um, beyond the fabulous uh, original stuff that we do, which is, you know, uh, quirky, I suppose one would say. Uh, covers everything from, you know, John Lee Hooker to Frank Zappa. Um it's pretty much what I tell everybody when I describe you guys. Yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, that, that kind of gives you a, a, a pretty good... Don't um, be surprised if Black Sabbath lands in the middle. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. well, well <laughs> there wasn't room on either side, so they right. had to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was always, uh, you know, had some improvisatory stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, to the point where uh, the... Uh, the band refers to my set lists as the page of lies. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, well then, then the, the, there's cause and effect, I guess, because uh, that's what you get when you play with me, right? I rarely follow the set list. Yeah. Exactly, which is why I got to be all open and whatnot. It's a real pain in the butt, yeah, right? Seriously. Yeah, it's uh, using all that improvisational skill you have and everything. Right. What was I thinking? All right. So, um, you know, and I like. Uh, I like heavy guitar. I like weird noises too. You know, I mean, influences on me as a player, um, uh, big guys. You know, as I said, uh, Hooker and Zappa, um, uh, Adrian Ballou, Robert Fripp, uh, guys uh, from King Crimson. Uh, Ballou particularly, you know, twisted my head off and screwed it back on backwards in terms of the <laughs> realm of possibility you know, things that you could do with the guitar. And I love hearing something that um, confounds me coming out of, uh, of an instrument that I know pretty well. Because, uh, you know, for the most part, I, there, there's very little obvious mystery to me <clears throat> in uh, watching most people play guitar. You know, right. there's... Um, this the mystery of the fretboard is not there so much. No, it's exactly. Mystery of I can creative. see what's going on and, and can often yeah. predict, uh, you know, what's going to happen next, you know. That's not to say there aren't guys doing, you know, brilliant stuff in all kinds of genres, you know. Um, I, like uh, Brad Paisley tweezes my brain, man. He's like... I saw him. I saw him live at, uh, at uh, Summerfest in Milwaukee. Yeah. Oh, he was fabulous. No doubt. I was blown yeah. away. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I've been running sound for uh, in a country bar on the regular for a year or so. And, um, you know, there's a lot of sameness there. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the set lists are the same. You know, the bands are coming through doing the same stuff the same way. And, you know, I generally, you know, after the first set, I tell them, you know, if you guys play a Skinner tune and say tip your bars and waitresses, then I'm gonna get country sound man bingo because I already got the Tom Petty cover <laughs> and wagon wheel in the free space. <laughs> you walk into the elbow room now, they have a sign by the door going upstairs. Yeah. Uh, wagon wheel is strictly prohibited. There you go. Yeah. You know, and I don't know, I would never heard the tune before. Uh, it's actually the first night that I was uh, running uh, sound in this particular country bar, mm -hmm. and the band apologized to me for it. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I've I only knew about this as somebody mentioning it as 
in a meme somewhere. I'm like, I never heard this tune, you know. And I lived in Wisconsin for almost six years, so it became a staple. And we even did it because yeah. I put it in my half a dozen country tunes that I would that I could tolerate sure. doing, you know. Yeah. Not, nothing against the country music. I yeah. just haven't grown up on it, so I'm not familiar with it, and it doesn't tell my story, which is well, yeah, you know, and I mean, why this is sometimes why we don't relate to a particular style, right? Well, doesn't yeah, tell your story. Tom Petty said, you know, most of these new country bands sound like a bad rock band with a fiddle, <laughs> and that's I mean, that's a phenomenon I saw from you know when I was just uh, first starting to gig. You know, in fact, some of my first paying gigs were in country bands down in Missouri. Um, <laughs> first one I was teaching and uh, one of the guys in the store comes back and knocks on my door and says these guys need a guitar player I'm like alright yeah we need a guitar player for Saturday night can you come out I'm like yeah sure I mean you guys are no we don't got time so just come on out you'll be fine <laughs> like, alright so whole new vocabulary opens up so we go down to this um, VFW hall in Arnold Missouri okay this is yeah <laughs> Arnold Missouri Arnold Missouri yeah the uh my only other memory of Arnold was being uh, directed off of the highway and uh, scrutinized by state troopers with shotguns after one of them had gotten uh, shot um, down there. Wow. They did not play down in Arnold. It was, you yeah, know, no you, you get a whole different feeling as every car is going through there and the, those shotguns are out and they are there for you if you... You did not want to make any smart remarks. Yeah. That but, way. Yeah. Anyway, so we're opening for an Elvis imitator. Oh, right. I yeah, had a gig like that. Yeah. Absolutely. And this guy was hot because he had just done the lottery commercial down there as <laughs> Elvis, right? So, <laughs> you know, he, and his whole thing was he did the comeback show, you know? So that was it. You joined that band. They gave you a VHS copy. You learned the comeback show and you played the comeback show. That's what you did. Right. You know, and that, I think some of my you know, relative disdain for, you know, tribute bands comes from the fact that, I mean, it seems to me as a natural extension of the Elvis imitator, the same way tracks seem to me the natural extension of Millie Vanilli. Right, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I do love me some Boney M, though, I'm sorry. But that's that's another story. That was a band the producer did before Millie Vanilli. Oh, okay. Yeah, we did yeah. some of that for a wedding gig last funny. year. Different story. Back to Elvis. So, we're <laughs> opening up for Elvis. VFW Hall in Arnold, Missouri. He's got a brand new PV mixing board. It was hot, man. It was cool. Sounded great, you know. And I'm like up there, and I got my antenna up. I'm open. I don't know what the hell is going to happen, right? So, right. I get advice. You know, information is given to me in uh, cryptic ways, such as, this one's in dog. So I, I form a D chord and see if I can keep up. Right. And uh, generally I could. You know, you know House of the Rising Sun? Yeah. That was a, that, that night that I discovered, wow, I have a tremendous amount of difficulty getting to a B7 chord still. You know? <laughs> I mean, I could play it as a bar chord six different ways, but to make just the bonehead nut chord version I learned on the first week of playing, I'm like, I couldn't quite do that. You know, I could get around it all night and it was fine, but I was so mad at myself. I went home and I had the woodshed a B7 chord. I'm like, really? That sucks. <laughs> Explain the woodshed to people real quick. Oh, woodshed, that's where you go to practice. That's right. Yeah. And then if it got shortened to, you got to do some shedding. Shedding. Yeah. Exactly. Shedding. Not this shredding. Is not, not shredding. And this is not an explicit broadcast. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> So, anyway, we get through the whole set with Elvis. It goes really well, actually. It was a good night. 
And uh, then Elvis comes out. And he comes out through the tables of the VFW Hall up to the stage, handing out scarves as he goes to the swooning matrons <laughs> of Arnold, Missouri, and gets up there. Oh, see, you see, see, Ryder. Poof! Blows the fuse in the PV. Has to go back out, down the tables, down the front, through the whole hall, passing out more scarves as he goes. Goes off stage till they can get another fuse in there and they get it fixed and the PA's back up there and they bring him back out. He can't start, do anything but start over from the beginning because that's all he knows. Right. He knows it front to back and that's all he knows. He's not going to, you know, he gets through two songs, fuse blows again. He goes back out, passing on scarves again. They, you know, they f <laughs> fix the fuse again. Happens three times. What? Right? He's out of scarves. <laughs> Time. Oh. He gets up for the last time. Finally, I think they were holding it in with a safety pin or something, you know. Right. And um, <laughs> he's out of scarves, and but he's got to start it every time over. So I heard a ton of CC Ryder that night, and uh, he f finishes the show, you know. And uh, they ask him, "Hey, what'd you think of our new guitar player?" And Elvis, you know, shoots me a finger gun, says, "He's a keeper." He's a keeper. You've been approved by Elvis. I was approved by Elvis. Elvis approved. Exactly. I was like so touched by that until he screwed us out of 50 bucks of our money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, fellas. We didn't get as much as we thought we were going to get. Oh, yeah. That's an old one, isn't it? Welcome to the music business, boys. Yes, right. Yes. <laughs> I worked with an Elvis impersonator at a tiki bar in Wicker Park, Chicago. As one do. Yeah, right. And, uh, the, yeah, and for, again, for, if you're not from Chicago, Wicker Park uh, at one point was somewhat like Greenwich Village, New York, when it was somewhat like Greenwich Village, New York. Now it's like not Greenwich Village anymore. But it was kind of the hip area. It was uh, low rent, uh, a lot of loft apartments, shootings. My car was broken into twice. Um, the artists moved in and the rents went up and now it's uh, a lot more trendy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's still a pretty cool neighborhood, but uh, but this is 15, 20 years ago. I lived over there and there was a tiki bar. It was all out tiki bar. The over the tables had like, you know, the, it, the, the tiki uh, hut thing coming out over the tables. <laughs> Everything, in other words, was extremely flammable. You know, I was doing a gig at a little bar that had that Tiki Hut thing happening, and yeah. the only place to plug in was like a string of Christmas lights that were strung up in that Tiki thing, and I'm oh. up there with a lighter <laughs> on the All top right. of the Tiki Hut there trying to find where we can plug in. I looked down at the bass player and said, this reminds me of Nam. <laughs> That's great. Well, it's at that Tiki bar is where I met Ted Wolfers. He came in, I was I was... Uh, I was running sound for an Elvis impersonator, you know, who had previously been an actor on General Hospital. Wow. But he loved Elvis so much, he started doing his own uh, Elvis tribute. And he did it in a way where he was still, Mark Hussman is his name, he's still around Chicago. Um, he, he did it in such a way that he was Mark as Elvis. So he had elements of himself in there, hmm. mm -hmm. uh, and, but just loved Elvis too much, you know, uh, not not to do it. So he 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 was living the dream, as you know, to, for for himself, and it was a lot more fun than I thought it would be. But it, speaking of lighters and tiki bars, I look over at a table, and there's a guy sitting there setting a little bobblehead tiki dancer on fire with his lighter, and it was Ted Wolfers, and I was like, I got to talk to this guy. <laughs> 
you know. So that's how he and I met, you know. So what is it with musicians and lighters and tiki bars and elephants and fire? You know, yes, we were, we're primitive. Yes. Uh, Jack Salamander, I have a website, man. Well, that would be jacksalamander.com. Y'all can go check that out. Uh, new CD, actually, is all but in the, the can right now. Um, and uh, that's, uh, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it, actually. There's, uh, it's wildly eclectic, and it um, uh, has uh, a, a weird continuity to it. Um, beyond the, you know, more standard, uh, you know, pop tunes, rock tunes, you know, I mean, it's, uh, whatever we do is going to be kind of on that, in that same gray area with the artists that I mentioned earlier, but there's also about five, uh, 20 second songs in there that, um, <laughs> are awesome. all basically the same chord progression <clears throat> in a wildly disparate styles that are, they're shaggy dog stories, basically just, you know, an excuse to have awful puns, but they just kind of I always loved um, the Bonzo Dog Band was another huge influence on me. And they would have these just, they were dedicated to the absurd. Their full original name was the Bonzo Dog Dada Band, but they um, got tired of having to explain what uh, Dada was as an art movement. So right. they changed it to the Bonzo Dog Duda Band, which took me years before I realized, ha, Bonzo Dog Do. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, that, that took me a minute. But, uh, you know, they would have these odd little vignettes in between songs, you know, or just uh, noise collages, just bizarre stuff that made you go, what is this world over here? How, how does this, what is that? That's nothing I've ever heard before. Why is it? What is it? Why is it? You know, and I've spent, you know, 30 odd years tracking down, you know, a million obscure English, you know, pop culture references and old 78s from the 20s and uh, bizarre slang and uh, things. I mean, that's fun. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they, you can sink your teeth into that, you know. It's not, you know, uh, uh, pop music of today, which is designed to be as inoffensive as possible, and to um or as offensive as po possible depending on where you go yeah this is true you know um but uh it's even either the, way it's cheap yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. There, there's definitely a cheapness to it and uh and it doesn't uh stand up to intense scrutiny and i don't know maybe i'm just an intense dude you know i mean that curiosity um is you know deeply embedded in me and again the other thing i love is the absurd and this this was um these guys were on top of it they were uh uh proto monty python actually they did a uh tv show with those guys before they were monty python and uh just absolutely anarchic bizarre absurd stuff and um so there's um for instance uh after the first hit single on the Jack Salamander disc is an overture, which contains snippets of various parts, uh, various songs from the album, uh, but warped beyond recognition. Uh, and uh, 
some oddball other things. Um, uh, I uh, got to play uh, a shout out to Albert Bashar. What's up, Albert? I've got a, a clip of Albert explaining how in the middle of the take of that hit single that I just mentioned, <laughs> he's playing it and he's telling the story. Let me tell you what happened. You know, all of a sudden I have this stick breaks. And so I'm playing with the other one, trying to cover it. And I reach for another one and then I drop this one. And now I got nothing. <laughs> and it was the take we kept. I never heard him drop a beat. It was beautiful. <laughs> Albert's amazing like that. That's and then on the other channel, immediately after that, is a um, a tape from an uh, an anonymous source who had gone to see uh, Ian Hunter playing at the, the City Winery. And if you know that place, the chairs are too close to one another. Mm -hmm. And I'm uh, like second or third row from the stage right there, you know. And, uh, you know, the chair next to me is empty, and then this dude comes and he sits down, and he's like half on my leg, you know, mm -hmm. and I kind of, you know, give the little, you know, nudge, you know, to say, hey, you're on my leg, pal, you know, and mm -hmm. finally, you know, he's just ignoring me, he's like rah, 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 half drunk, and I finally have to tap him on the shoulder and say, uh, hey, man, you're on my leg. I'm like, what's that? I'm like, you're on my leg. Oh, am I on your leg? Yeah. Well, you see... Yeah, it's pretty tight in here. I've been here before. I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, you know, that has nothing to do with anything. Right. And then he says, well, I'm a big dude. You're a big dude. We're going to touch each other. See, we're going to touch. <laughs> you kept this. Well, uh, on your, yes. This anonymous person who happened to be bootlegging the Ian Hunter show. Sorry, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> happened to get all that on tape, so that's in the overture. Awesome. That's beautiful. We're going to touch. You're I'm a big, big guy. dude. I'm a big dude. You're We're going to touch. <laughs> that's great. Awesome. Well, you, I think you attract these kind of things to you. You said, you know, you said it yourself. You're an intense dude. What's so funny is I don't know anybody who would actually describe you as intense. Uh, you know, other than my camping buddies. You know, <laughs> hey! But uh, just shout out in, to them. You know who you are. <laughs> but just in the sense of uh, a highly active brain, that it must be very intense to be in. And, oh, and yeah. therefore the 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 need for constant curiosity to be fulfilled. Uh, it, it often intensely, and uh, a, the, the constant courage to keep, you know, seeking that out and, and you know, moving it, moving it all forward. Yeah, um, it's kind of, you know, what Beefheart said about um, his music and how complex it was. Uh, how do you think I feel, guys? I have to sing over this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, yeah, it's a, it's a valid point, isn't it? Um, how much uh, courage and curiosity do people need to move forward in our world today? All of it. Yeah. You know, and that was something that I was thinking even as you asked me the question at the beginning of this podcast is the basic problems uh, that we see right now. And um, regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, I think you could agree that there is a tremendous amount of disarray and it has to do with people not being engaged mm -hmm. because the things that most people want to see happening in this country are not happening because of the influence 
of big money and vested interests that uh, are not necessarily a reflection of what people might actually want. But people are not curious enough to find out what's going on in their government and why, and people aren't courageous enough to get up and do something about it, you know, and that's, um, that's the fundamental um, societal issue, you know, right now. Once again, we learn from the creative mindset, you know, the need to understand. I mean, we could also say that, that that's science, too. The science begins with uh, a curiosity. Oh, sure. yeah, yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 we, we start by admitting, I don't know. Right. Uh, I was I was talking to a guy um, uh, not too long ago, highly intelligent dude, and uh, I was telling him about like uh, how how excited I I I'm, I was was about something because I didn't really know what to do about it, you know. Right. And, and he said, "Yeah, you know." He said, "Phil, you know, I I I think I'm a pretty a pretty smart guy." And he was, you know, understating, you know. Uh, sure. Right. You know, and he said that's like my my favorite moment is when I don't have an answer because then it means, it's nothing but possibility. Right. Right. And and so and and but you have to have that courage to go forward with that. Sure. Or yeah. it's blank page syndrome. You know, there's too many options and you don't do anything. Right. But you know that's the beginning of the Phil gig or the beginning of the Phil podcast. Here we are mm -hmm. sitting, the microphones turned on. What the hell are we going to talk about? Right. You know? <laughs> but, you know, to have enough trust that um, uh, if we're open to the mm -hmm. discussion, if we're open to the uh, scientific exploration, if we're open to the question of societal questions of government, all of that, um, then we can field things as they come in. And that process is intensely interesting and always different and never ends you know in whatever uh discipline you're talking about possibilities are endless and it took two of us because open dialogue requires two people exactly at least unless you know? i'm a figment right and you're talking to yourself or something yeah. and i guess we all have that conversation too sure you know i mean yeah. uh one of the ways that music happens is a. Uh, uh, you know, the interaction of a musician and his instrument, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I lost the blue guitar, um, oh, yeah. one of the <coughs> Blackbeard over here is uh, the same uh, type of guitar uh, with a slightly different uh, pickup configuration. And um, I did most of the modifications that I had done to uh, the one that was stolen to it. But it sings different songs to me. Mm. There was certain chord progressions that um, that guitar revealed to me. You know, as I'm picking it up, saying, "Okay, this is not the thing that was my right arm for so long. This mm -hmm. is another conversation I have to have with this combination of wire and wood and electronics." And it said. What about this chord, and what if you do that to it? You know, I mean, it really seemed like the suggestions were coming from the guitar rather than from me. Mm -hmm. You know, and those that kind of uh, interaction is another type of music. You can be all alone in the room, 
yeah. music can happen. But you were open to them. I mean, there's a certain element of that, too. I mean, how much of that is Lem's getting older and exploring new options? Because you've, you've already explored very, very, very far from where you started. Oh, yeah. And how, you know, how much is, is uh, there simply our openness to what's next? And sometimes that openness of, I have no idea what's next, but it, at my age, what do I care? You know, kind of thing too. You know, because sure. that's I mean, and it's not necessarily you know, a more complicated thing than other things you've done. And it does now. It's just you know a different configuration that sparks joy. Yeah, yeah. My, my the, the, this EP that I just did with my with the baritone guitar, I yeah, sort of perfect example. I just let it happen. Yep. I, I've never and 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 it actually is to me personally. There was so much more emotional openness in it than anything. I didn't protect myself emotionally in ways that I have done in previous work. Well, you were generally wearing yeah. a rubber in the studio, right? <laughs> yes. There you go. You know, but uh, the the uh, yeah the the openness to the new possibilities. At the, do we get more courage courage as we get older, or do we just realize that? Uh, the, the, the same amount of courage seems to be working, and uh, so far it hasn't hurt too bad. It's up to you. I mean, you know, growing older can mean closing yourself off more, or mm. it can mean opening yourself up more. And it is really up to you to have the determination to stay curious, to stay courageous, you know, and see this thing out. I mean, aging is less fun than being young and stupid. <laughs> you know? I mean, certainly, you know, I, I can't tell you anything about the rigors of, you know, the, of the physical toll that aging, you know, and particularly in the music business where we are less likely to have a whole ton of medical support, you right. know, available to us in terms of insurance and, uh, you know, regular uh, health uh, care, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, and that's rough, you know. So my knees are not, you know, being particularly um, helpful to me for, at this particular moment, um, but I'm still getting everywhere that I need to go, and I, I find, you know, that I can be smarter about it. Um, you know, if there's only one step uh, one's a uh, little, it's a two-step thing, but there's only one place where there are stairs up to the stage that I'm running sound on. I'm not going to let the guitar player put his monitor right in front of it because I know I'm coming up and down those stairs and I'm not going to twist my knee out right. over it, you know? So, Adapt. You, yeah, you try and work it smarter rather than harder. Yeah, and well, I guess we get better at that if we try, if we care to, you know, after sure. doing this for so long, too. Uh, there, I, I've noticed a whole lot of, uh, I'm a whole lot more efficient at a lot of things than I thought I was. Yeah. Because out of necessity, I had to be, for instance, smart with my money. Out of necessity, I had to be efficient with my time because I'm doing five people's jobs to necessity get Necessity is a gig. mother. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, you get to a point where you've borne enough fruit from it that you can, that you, you get to stand back and go, well, okay, do I need this? Do I need that? And you, and you begin to get to choose a little bit more carefully the work that you want to do. 
and you get to choose uh, a little bit more carefully and more patiently probably how you want to get that work done and so you realize maybe you've been working smarter all along you just had to stop and get the perspective to realize how much uh, extraneous crap you were doing sure and how the much flow energy you were misusing yeah you know? the flow becomes different you know um, and you find um, I don't know uh, I maybe I'm just fortunate in this um, particular regard but you find that um, things uh, tend to work in the most positive way uh, even if you don't feel like they are at the time like there are days when I wake up and um, I'm writing a song about it actually it's called extraordinarily unproductive <laughs> you know and it's you know there's it's just the day that you know you you can't you just can't get started you know and there's always a million things to do um, and then you know something happens later on in the week that um, means the effort that you had intended to expend on you know um, so for you know if, uh, you if I was intended, uh, if I intended to be working specifically on making money this day, you know, I've got to, mm -hmm. need to go out and do this particular uh, bit of work, and it just can't happen. I'm finding that you know, four or five days later, a different opportunity happens that takes care of that financial need, mm -hmm. and um, and it was more important for me to be resting yes. on that first day than to accomplish anything that I might have thought I needed to do. If you have courage, you have curiosity. Flexibility. Flexibility, yeah. Uh, Adaptability, creati creativity. We could add a few more abilities and <laughs> abilities to it and everything, you know. Sure. Um, and these don't have to come with age. No, no. I mean, uh, you can... You know, you got to just pry open your heart wherever you are. Yeah. Ah, I like that. Uh, let's let's wrap it on that notion, everybody. Pry open your heart. Right on. There's hope in the world. You can have the courage. And when you do it... Uh, Clean house! That's the James Cornolo tune. Thank Clean you. Clean house. All right. <laughs> we did it. See that? All right. All I had to do was say we're finishing up, and then it came to you. Exactly. That's right. Thanks, Phil. You said lots of nice things about me, and I always like to hear them. <laughs> hey, we all need it, man. You've, and you've, you've, uh, everybody, go find a friend like I got in this gentleman here, and uh, create uh, amazing things with people like we get to do. Uh, whatever you do in life, uh, do it with all the courage you can muster, and do it with other people. Open your hearts, open your mouths, dialogue. We need this. Hello. The world needs to be talking. Get the blinders off, man. Uh, don't just depend on we creatives to say it for you. You are just as creative uh, as anybody else. Uh, you just have to find your voice. And uh, you can trust <coughs> it. Yep, you can trust it. Um, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next time around. Peace. Peace. Thank you.